So Holy Spirit, we do pray that you would use those words from Scripture, what I'm going to say in these next few minutes, guide our thoughts to help us be more connected to Jesus and follow him more. Pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I want to welcome those of you who are watching online. It's great to have you with us, as well as all of you in the room. Uh, not too long ago, someone sent me a tongue-in-cheek website, a link to a, a tongue-in-cheek website called despair.com that sells demotivational posters. So sort of the opposite of motivational posters. These are demotivational posters, things like this. Ambition, the journey of a thousand miles sometimes ends very, very badly. <laughs> or meetings, because none of us is as dumb as all of us. That's my personal favorite right there. Or this one, mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. <laughs> Ouch, right? I wonder, do you ever feel like some of those posters sort of demotivated? Maybe you're sick of your job, or maybe you're just bored, or maybe you're burned out, which is different than tired. Tired can be a good feeling if it's tired for a good cause, but burned out is just hopeless. Or maybe it's a health, relationship, or financial problem that's stealing your joy. Or maybe it's your faith. It just seems flat, and you don't feel God anywhere at all in your life. He just seems AWOL. Well, today's scripture tells us what, or more appropriately, who can re-energize our lives. His name is the Holy Spirit. And the, the Spirit of God himself, the Spirit of the triune God himself living inside of us. We've been doing a sermon series on the life of the Apostle Peter, and so far, Peter's life has really been like that last poster I showed you. It has mostly been to serve as a warning to others, because Peter just keeps messing up all the time, right? He always says the wrong thing. When Jesus needs him most, when he's on trial for his life, Peter denies knowing Jesus three times, right? But then, at the end of the Gospel of John, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, Jesus meets Peter, restores him, forgives him, says, even though you denied me, you are still my man, Peter. You're still my man, and I'm going to use you for great things. You're going to face persecution, but I'm also going to use you to build my church. Now, you would think that seeing the risen Jesus would have re-energized Peter, but no. No, 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 no. In fact, the very last thing we hear Peter say, the very last words of Peter in the four Gospels is a snippy little comment about his fellow disciple, John. Peter points to John and says to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Basically, if I have to face persecution, what about him? Okay, this is like when I asked my kids to do something and they said, I did it last year. Make him do it, right? Peter is just Peter until the very end always messing up, and as a result, demotivated, he's demoralized, depressed, de-energized. Do you ever feel that way? Someone told me a story once about how when they were in college, the, the, their church sent them out to do door-to-door -door evangelism. And on one of the doors they knocked on, a woman answered, and she had a vacuum cleaner in one hand, a crying baby in the other. Behind her were two of her little kids fighting, and something was boiling over on the stove. And so the guy said, ma'am, would you like to have eternal life? And she said, frankly, I don't think I could stand it. <laughs> Do you ever feel that way? That's Peter, just kind of demotivated, burned out. But then you turn one page, just one page in Scripture. One page from the end of John to the beginning of Acts, and suddenly it's a whole new Peter. Why? Because the Holy Spirit entered his life, new Peter. Just take a look at what he does. The text says, Peter stood up and addressed the crowd. 
Now, up to this point, Peter has only opened his mouth to exchange feet, right? So, so when he does this, you can kind of see the other disciples going, oh no, he's just going to embarrass himself. Somebody stop him, right? I mean, get someone else to speak. Thaddeus, you haven't said anything in all four gospels. It's your turn, man, <laughs> right? Your moment to shine, Thad, come on. You know, you've got a line, make it good, right? But, you know, but, but, but instead, out comes, Peter talks and out comes this passionate sermon, about Jesus, a part of which we read today. And it ends with this. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a good day at the office. Okay, Mrs. Peter was probably really, really proud. What a difference the Holy Spirit makes. The Holy Spirit puts pep back into our step again. He makes bored people excited, depressed people joyful. He can turn our failures into successes. He can re-energize our lives even when we face the worst of traumas. He can fill us with power, power, wonder, work in power. And wouldn't you love to have that? Well, here's the thing. You already do. If you know Jesus, his Holy Spirit already lives inside of you. So you might ask, well, then why don't I feel it more? Where is this joy? Where is this power? I don't feel it. Well, here's the thing. A lot of us, myself included, tend to quench the Holy Spirit's power because it's too out of control for us. So we kind of try to dampen it down, right? That's why the Apostle Paul warns us, do not put out the Spirit's fire. But in a lot of ways, I think we try to contain the Spirit. And I have a little visual demonstration to sort of help us out with this. Okay, this is two glasses of water right there in case you're wondering what that is. This is Alka-Seltzer which for the purposes of this sermon illustration will represent the Holy Spirit. So engineers, this is a metaphor, okay? So don't go getting all literal on me and go, so the Holy Spirit relieves indigestion. I mean, maybe, but that's, that's really not my point. Now, <laughs> if I put this Alka-Seltzer in this water, look what happens. I mean, bubbling, fizzing, exciting, all kinds of energy, all kinds of stuff going on in this glass right here, right? But if I don't take it out of the packet and put it in the water... Presbyterians, <laughs> I think I've made my point, right? And I have to say, this church is a very spirit-filled church, and y'all are very spirit-filled people. It's one of the things that I love about this church. Even still, though, we tend to kind of shy away from the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit very much, and that's my bad. I'm your pastor. I should do that. And truth be told, we're kind of scared of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, as he used to be called, right? Ooh, spooky, right? And well, we should be a little scared because Jesus says this to his disciples, you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And the Greek word he uses there is dunamis, the same word from which we get dynamite. The Holy Spirit is dynamite and can release a lot of power in our lives if we let him, if we take him out of the emotional, social, and theological packaging we use to contain him. And Peter's experience gives us some clues how we can do that, okay? First, to release Holy Spirit and power in our lives, we need to be spirit-directed, not self-directed. Up to this point, Peter has pretty much done whatever he wanted to do, whatever came to mind, he said it. But here at the first Pentecost, which we celebrate today, it's Pentecost Sunday, birthday of the church, first Pentecost, Peter is guided by the Holy Spirit to preach a sermon that points straight at Jesus because that's what the Spirit does. He points us to Jesus. The text says that the coming of the Spirit was accompanied by wind and fire. I'll get to fire in a minute. But wind is a great 
kind of image for the Holy Spirit because the wind blows wherever it will and you can't control the direction of the wind. If we want to experience more of the Holy Spirit, we have to let Him guide us, not try to guide ourselves. Think of it this way. Some, of, some people go through life as though they're on a rowboat, rowing under their own power, headed their own direction. Problem with that is it leaves us exhausted and sometimes the directions we go aren't always good for us. Other people live life not so much as if they're on a rowboat, but a raft, just sort of drifting through life, hoping the current takes them to a good place. But the best way to go through life is as if we were on a sailboat. Sailboat doesn't move itself. It's moved by the power of the wind. But a good sailor knows that he has to, or she has to, adjust the sails to catch the wind and adjust whatever way the wind is going, adjust sails accordingly. Sailors involved, but the power is the wind. That's what it means to be spirit-directed. Practically speaking, that means two things. One, it means doing what God says to do in the Bible. Let's just start there. But then second, respond to those nudges the Holy Spirit gives us. Those thoughts that may not be our thoughts. I've talked about this a lot. Woman in our congregation I'll call Carol. And one day she was headed out to do some errands, and she called a friend just to see if she could stop by to drop some stuff off at this friend's house. Friend said, no, don't bother. I'm just on my way out right now to go to a meeting. So Carol left to go do her errands. She got to a certain intersection and she got this thought that was not one of her thoughts that said, go to your friend's house. And Carol thought, that's ridiculous. I just called her. She's not home. No. But the thought came back, go to your friend's house. I've got a reason. So Carol went to the friend's house that, that she just called minutes before, right? Got there. The garage door was open. The car was running, but the friend had gone back in the house for some reason. So Carol went into the house. The friend was just hanging up the phone. She had just received a phone call that her daughter had died in a car accident. So Carol was right there in that moment, was able to comfort this woman the whole day, help this woman out in all kinds of ways. It was a huge help for this woman in this moment of terrible news. And Carol said, I felt God's Holy Spirit there in so many ways all day. God talked to me. He directed me. He used me because she responded to a nudge even if it didn't make sense. Now, you might ask, well, how do I know if it's the Holy Spirit nudging me or just my own brain playing tricks on me? Well, here's my answer. If you think that it might be the Holy Spirit and what you're being nudged to do is biblical, moral, and legal, well, then do it, okay? Try it out. Well, what if it's not the Holy Spirit? I mean, I might end up looking like a fool. Uh-huh, but it won't be the first time. Trust me, right? Trust me. Sometimes I respond to that nudge and it was the Holy Spirit. Other times it wasn't. But here, that, the point is, I'm trying. And the more I do that, the better I get at recognizing when it's the Spirit and when it's not. For Holy Spirit power, we need to be Spirit-led. And, and this is my second point, let Him be responsible for the results. You know, a lot of times we're so concerned about our image and success and all of that that we try to control everything to get the outcomes we want rather than let, just do what the Holy Spirit tells us and let Him be responsible for the results. Peter's call in this, in this story was not to convert 3,000 people. That was the Holy Spirit's job. Peter's call was simply to preach and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And this is something I experience a lot just in my own preaching. Occasionally, I will have a sermon that I just think is a dog of a sermon, right? And not even a nice dog, an ugly dog, right? And I'm like, I got to walk that dog five times on Sunday and then it lives forever on the internet, right? There have been Saturday nights, I kid you not, there have been Saturday nights where I have said to my wife, I really hope Jesus comes back tonight so I don't have to preach that sermon tomorrow, <laughs> right? And it's not that I haven't done my best with the time I've got. I have. It just, sometimes it just kind of seems kind of 
blah to me and maybe to you too. Right? But then often this happens. Often a week or two later, someone will say to me, God, remember that sermon? And I'm like, yeah, that dog of a sermon. Yeah, I remember. Well, man, when you said such and such, that was so helpful to me. And a lot of times I'll smile and I'll nod, but I'm thinking, that's great. I never said that. Now, you're right. That would have been an awesome thing to say if I thought of it, but I didn't, right? <laughs> but I'm glad that's where your mind wandered to, right? That, that's, that's your wandering minds and the Holy Spirit doing something with that dog of a sermon, right? To experience the Holy Spirit, we need to do what he nudges us to do. Let him be responsible for the results. Third, be in community with others who have the Spirit. This, this story is all about the birth of the church, Pentecost, which was never, church was never meant to be an institution, but a radically inclusive community where we are able to connect with people even very different than we are through the Spirit. That's the point of everyone hearing the disciples in their own native language. The Holy Spirit is making that happen. And it's an undoing of the story of the Tower of Babel. Way back in Genesis, where people tried to build a tower to heaven, and because of their arrogance, God destroyed the tower, people scattered, developed different languages. This is the undoing of that. And it's about community and being connected to people even very different than we are because they have the same spirit. A great way to stoke the spirit's fire is to be with other people who have it. If a log rolls away from the fire, it goes out. If we are not in community, it douses the Spirit's fire in our life. Which brings me to my fourth point. And that is, for Holy Spirit power, we need to allow ourselves to be passionate. Now, one image for the Spirit is wind. The other is fire. And fire symbolizes a lot of things. It symbolizes cleansing and purity. But another thing fire symbolizes is intensity, passion. From here on out, Peter and the disciples are passionate about Jesus and bringing his revival. They burn with intensity, but they don't burn out because the Holy Spirit is lighting them up. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm a little uncomfortable with intense emotions. I sort of like to tame them. I don't want all that bubbling, fizzing stuff in my life. I, I like things decent and in order, right? But that is a great way to quench the Spirit's fire. I remember in my former church, there was a man who used to complain about the way that some people would raise their hands when they were singing in worship. Now, you do not have to raise your hands in worship to feel connected to God, right? You can, you can be sitting very quietly and feel God's presence very deeply. It's okay not to raise your hands, but it's also okay to raise your hands because what we do with our bodies affects our souls. If we raise our hands, that can lift our souls, right? But this man in my former church, he hated it. And he came up with this great quote. He said, emotions have no place in church. Okay, folks have been feeling nothing in church for centuries, but, you know, is that a good thing, right? And, and here's, the, here's the weird deal. I knew for a fact that he was a passionate 49ers fan. And every home game, he'd be at Candlestick Park, chest painted, standing and yelling with his hands up, because that's what you do when you get excited, right? And I think, this is weird, right? I mean, you will, you'll do all of that around a game, the outcome of which has absolutely no impact on your life whatsoever. But for the Lord who died for you, you won't even go like this? I mean, come on, man. And again, it's not, you don't have to raise hands, you don't have to not. I mean, it's not about what we do. It's about our, what we're allowing ourselves to feel and not shutting those things down. The times I've been most deeply connected to the Holy Spirit, whether that's kind of a quiet peace in my heart or something more exuberant, have been when I've let myself be a little out of control emotionally. 
One experience I told you about a couple years ago where I was at a worship service at a pastor's conference and I kind of in this worship time was feeling Jesus and I was starting to stir up some emotions inside of me and I was shutting them down, containing them because I didn't want to go there. Didn't want to go to the emotional place. So I, but then I thought, well, this is bad. You know, Jesus wants to do something. So I said, Jesus, I'll take you on your terms. Do what you want to do. I told you the story a couple years ago. I ended up feeling God's presence so much, eventually I, I ended up on the floor crying. Okay, this is not how I do things. I chose being Presbyterian for a really good reason, right? <laughs> this is not way outside my comfort zone. But one of the things I heard God say in that moment was, I have to offend your mind to get to your heart. Stop trying to control me. Which brings me to my last point. For Holy Spirit power, we have to be spirit-led, trust the spirit for the outcomes, be in community, allow ourselves to be passionate, and if we do all four of those things, the fifth thing happens, folks will think we're crazy. Okay, I love the line in this story where the crowds watch the disciples interact with the Holy Spirit, and they say, they've had too much wine. I love that. They're drunk. They're plastered. Peter's response is also great. We're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning, right? I'm not sure that stops some people, but anyway, right? The first Christian sermon ever preached was occasioned by mocking. We have always been mocked. And throughout history, when folks let the Holy Spirit loose in their lives, they do crazy things. Speaking in tongues, slain in the Spirit, all of which is biblical, but also the Holy Spirit will lead us to say and do things that may seem nuts to other people. And this would be the biggest reason I don't experience the Spirit's power more than I do. Because I am afraid to be out of control and I am terrified of what other people think of me. So I bottle the spirit up. I stifle the nudges I feel. I try to contain my experience and my emotions. After I got back from that conference several years ago where I ended up on the floor crying, that kind of thing, I called my lifelong mentor. He's president of a seminary. I figured he could talk some good theological sense into me. And I told him my experience and then I asked, I said, man, Steve, am I playing with fire here? Should I stop? And he said, you are absolutely playing with fire, and you absolutely should not stop. One of the things my predecessor, Dick Leon, has said is that we like to be in control. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you never want to be in a posture of control, because that's a good way to dampen down the Spirit's fire. And so what if folk thinks, folks think we're crazy? So what, right? If we have the power of the Spirit inside of us, we won't care. One of the decisions I made as a graduate student and then as an instructor at Stanford was to be open about the fact that I am a Christian. And in case you don't know, Stanford isn't well known for its really friendly Christian environment, okay? And sometimes folks would make fun of me. Some of my colleagues called me Bible boy, right? And I would always just say, well, I resemble that remark, right? And sometimes that all got me down. But, but on my best days, when I was closely connected to Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit, I didn't care, right? I could even kind of joke around about it. I remember one day I was at my advisor's house and he was an atheist. His father worked with Sigmund Freud. I mean, not Christian at all. And he was telling me what some of his former students who did not go on to be professors did for a living and what they would do for him. So one, one of his former students turned out to be a chef and would cook my advisor all these elaborate meals. Another one went on to be a carpenter, built these beautiful bookcases for, for my advisor. So I said to him, you know, Stephen, you better hope that I go on to be uh, a professor because my alternative career is being a pastor. And then the only thing I can do for you is baptize you. Right? And they said, well, you never know. Right? I'm still working on that. But 
When I allowed the Holy Spirit to work, he protected me from feeling hurt by what other people thought. I recently heard a true story about a man who was a missionary in Iran along with his wife, trying to help some folks there. And one day they pulled up to a store in a small village to just get a few supplies, and outside the store was an Iranian man holding a machine gun. And the missionary's wife handed him the, a Bible and said, as you go into the store, give that man there this Bible. And he said, are you crazy? He's got a machine gun. And she said, no, I think we're supposed to give him this Bible. And he said, I'm not going to, he's got a machine gun. You're nuts, woman. And she goes, no, I think we're supposed to, right? And he goes, no, no, no. And she said, would you at least pray about it? So he said, okay. So he went in the store, got what they needed, then got back in the car. And she looked at him and she said, you didn't give him the Bible, did you? And he said, yeah, I prayed about it. And God said not to do that. And she said, well, I think God told you to do it. And then she bowed her head and she just started praying right there. So he said, okay, fine. If you want me to die, I'll go do it, right? So he got out, gave the man with the machine gun the Bible, at which point the man teared up and said, for months now, I have been having dreams where Jesus talks to me. Which just parenthetically, I hear this over and over and over again from Christians in Muslim countries, that Muslims are coming to them and saying, your Jesus is talking to me in my dreams. What does that mean? Okay, just, it's just interesting, parenthetically. So anyways, this guy says, you know, I, I've had these dreams of Jesus telling me to come to this store and wait until someone hands me a book of life. And you just did, and now I know I'm not crazy, so will you please tell me about this Jesus? Amazing story. The missionary led him to Christ, right? Amazing story of the Holy Spirit guiding and empowering. Now, you may say, well, I don't have a story like that. Well, have you ever taken a risk like that? Have you ever responded to a nudge like that? Where might you be trying to contain, package up, stifle the Spirit's power in your life? Because it's just a little too out there. This week, will you pray directly to the Holy Spirit? It is, it is helpful to pray to different parts of the triune God. And I know that raises all kinds of theological questions. Just But for the moment, this week, pray, Holy Spirit, nudge me. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, come. I want more of you. Holy Spirit, light me up in a way that makes folks think I'm crazy. And then take some steps to be Spirit-led, trust the Spirit for the results, be in community, allow yourself to feel some passion, even if folks think you're crazy, even if they come to the conclusion that you're drunk. Because you know what? In a way, you are. You're under the influence, under the influence of the Spirit of God himself. And that's what happened that first Pentecost, the birthday of the church, that launched a movement that to this day defies explanation. Even atheist historians cannot fully explain how a group of poor, mostly uneducated people from a marginalized class in Roman society became the most powerful movement in the Roman world without the use of force. And in spite of the fact that they were persecuted, rejected, and killed, but the more they were persecuted, the more the movement just grew and grew, and they weren't exhausted by their efforts. They were invigorated. They weren't emptied. They were filled up. They weren't demoralized or demotivated. They were full of joy. They burned brightly, but they never burned out because they that's what the Holy Spirit does. So where do you have them all wrapped up? Release him and watch your life just bubble up with effervescent, joyful power that cannot be stopped and unquenchable fire that will never burn out. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do that. Send us well outside our comfort zones this week. Nudge us, inspire us, move us. Lord, make us just a little bit crazy. But let's be crazy in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I know some people will, will not be attracted to that and others will think it's the most freeing thing they've ever seen. Lord, help us to be those kinds of people and live all out for you. And we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.